Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. We have a business meeting today immediately following service, and that's the scariest thing you'll hear today. <laughs> no, just thinking about it maybe be scary. And I will let you know that the Vikings and Cowboys are playing tonight. You may or may not be aware of that, but I genuinely feel torn for the first time in my life because I was a cowboy hater for so long till Jesus changed my heart. <clears throat> and uh, so now it's going to be, it's like it feels like you win either way. So uh, I will be watching that tonight. wanted to remind the ladies and men there will be no Bible study this afternoon. And I want to commend Pastor Cindy for coming up with a creative idea to get out on the corner and catch the flow of the the community walking by with at least lighting up the night with a glow stick. I think it's appropriate that Vision Church has given out some light, don't you? We want to be that lighthouse here on the corner. And so all that want to come, the more the merrier, right? The more the merrier. We want to get right into it. And I wanted to preach to you this morning. We continue in the book of Acts. Have you noticed that we've been going through? I'm not saying we're going all the way through the book of Acts. But we're basically going verse by verse through the book of Acts so far. And we're looking at today name, power, and message. Aren't you glad for the power? Aren't you glad for the name? And aren't you glad for the simplicity of the message? That we carry. Sometimes we think it has to be a highfalutin message in order to be effective. Here's the promise we have. It's a simple message that even a child can understand. He'll supply the power. He'll be he'll do the convincing. We just have to put the seed in place of the message, the simple message of the gospel of Christ. And so we're going to see these placed in very strong position here in what, the fifth chapter of of the book of Acts as we continue on. You'll remember that there has been advancing in grace and then a pushback by the people, a pushback by the priests, a pushback by the enemy. And we come away from that saying, you know what? If you're going to push out in grace, if you're going to step out in faith, if you're going to activate in your life the promises and goodness of God, there is going to be a pushback. Don't be discouraged. Here's how Jesus put it. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so Jesus was letting them know, you're going to advance in grace, and there's going to be pushbacks. That doesn't stop you advancing in grace. Keep on pushing on. Keep on pressing on. Keep on believing, keep on pressing in faith into the promises of God, seeing them realized in your life. And what happens when the grace of God explodes in our life? He displaces the enemy. He throws down the enemy's strongholds, and then we find a real victory. But then we've got to fight to preserve the victory and then build on that and move into the future. So here we go. Right there in verse 17 through 41 this morning. We'll see how far we get. That says, Then the high priest and all his associates. 
whenever I read that, especially in the book of Acts, I go, "Uh uh-oh. The high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees. Now, what happened? What does it, what does it tell us? What do they believe? What do the Sadducees believe? Here's a real easy but corny way to remember it. They do not believe in the resurrection. They do not believe in the supernatural. This is why they're sad, you see. They cut out all the turbochargers. They cut out all the fun stuff. Really makes you wonder why they're even religious if there's no afterlife. But they saw it as man's duty and man doing something that God has asked him to do. And so this was the high priest and the and all his associates were members of the parties of the Sadducees. When we hear this, uh, Paul kind of lays this out in one of his letters. He kind of touches on this idea. He says, in the book of Romans, I believe it is, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Aren't you glad for power? We're going to be talking about the name, the power, and the message. So they're what they are animated or filled with jealousy. Jealousy. We're going to be animated by energy. As human beings, we're always looking for an energy by which to be animated. No point to anybody, but you know people who are animated by negative energy. They don't seem to be happy unless they're raining on someone else's parade. They don't seem to be happy until they're finding fault in something or causing something to fall apart. And so here they are. They are filled with jealousy. This is an energy in their life. And and you can think of two words that are very closely related. Jealousy, and how about this? I'm going to make one up. Zealousy. Or zealotry. Jealousy or zealotry. So the Apostle Paul said he was a zealot in the faith, but he found himself opposing Jesus. And he They believed that Jesus of Nazareth, He is the Son of God, He is the Son of Man, He is the Messiah. God has raised Him from the dead, and He has saved us from our sins. Give the Lord a hand clap. This caused them to shout, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. What are they up to? They want to put them to a public disgrace. They could have put them in a private jail. They could have put him, them sequestered away where no one even knew they were put in jail. But instead, they chose to put them under religious charges in a public jail for common thieves, for common criminals. It shouldn't be strange because they put Jesus on a cross to die the death of a common common criminal, an enemy of the state. They arrested the apostles. Now, earlier it says that all the apostles were being used mightily by the power of God. They were doing, there were miracles happening in Jerusalem at their hand. So they arrested the apostles. So the way I can count it is there were 12 arrests made. 
Twelve apostles, one was elected late, Matthias, to replace Judas. All of the apostles are now put in jail. So, jealous or zealous? Here's the question. We tend to be filled with an energy. How about this question? What energy is going to fill our life? Are we going to operate out of jealousy? Or are we going to operate out of a true zeal? The energy of God. Have you ever heard of the word enthusiasm? It actually means entheos, meaning God in me. If somebody was enthusiastic, those in the pagan world thought that there was a spirit in them. Now, how many of you know that we do have availability from the Holy Spirit? That there can be a new life within us, and it should make us enthusiastic. There should be energy. There should be strength. And it should be positive. Amen? It should be positive. Zealous or, or jealous or zealous, we tend to be filled with an energy. Which is it going to be? So it goes on and says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. He opened a couple cells. I don't know if everybody had their own cot and three hots. I have no idea. If they were in a common jail where there were all of them in one. But it says, he opened the doors, plural, of the jail and brought them out. And said, quick, get out of town. Get as far away as you can. No. And said, go, stand in the temple courts. Wow. Go and take a stand. Go and get on the front line again. Don't avoid the conflict. They're commanded to go right back to the point of contention. Why are they in there? Because they've been standing in the temple courts and they have been preaching. He said, and tell the people all about this new life. What's the message? The message is you can have a new life. Have you ever heard somebody say, life stinks? Right? Life is this and then you die. You ever hear people bemoan their existence? Have you heard people complain about how difficult life is? They need to hear a message. Are you ready? They need to hear a message that there is a new life available for them. Did you know it doesn't have to be this way? Do you know that there is somebody who can absolutely change your life? Think of the commercials you've seen where they have sold a product or some sort of exercise program or exercise equipment or an automobile. And what do they always promise? This will change your life. This will change your life for the better. This will make life better for you. This is better than a Ginsu knife, what we're offering. This is better than, wait, there's more. This is better than the latest laundry product. This is a message of new life that is available to us by the creator of life. The very creator of all has made available to every one of us the potential and the gift of what? New life. Another way of putting that is you live your life according to your rules and it gets all messed up. You come and you give your life to Christ. You give your life to God and what does he do? He recreates, he renews, he rejuvenates. He comes in and all the places you've broken and shattered and messed up, He comes in, and here's what he does. He makes something beautiful out of it 
so beautiful that it's better than it ever was before. That's how creative he is. The angel says, go tell the people about this new life. That's the essence of the message. God has offered new life, new chances, new possibility. Go and tell the people about this new life. So it's what? A simple command. Go and take a stand. Simple message. New life. How many of you think you could say those two words? New life. You know, if somebody was complaining about their life and all you said was, new life. What? New life. It sounds to me like you need a new life. Oh, how's that going to happen? I happen to know the author of life. And he can take anything and change it around. He works miracles in people's lives. Wow. What an opening. Just a simple message. And then simple obedience. What is it? Go and stand. Go and tell. Take a stand and share the message. So, no, I love this, what it says here. At daybreak, they entered the temple. I don't know about you, but I would enter the temple at two minutes before closing time. If the angel said, go and stand in the temple courts and share this message with the people, I would obey, but I would tend to delay the obedience. I would wait to a more convenient time. I would wait until after lunch. I would wait until after the third hour. Maybe I would try to catch the high priest and his henchmen napping, and I would go then. That's not what it reads. I'm reminded of this idea of severe obedience in the book of Genesis. When the the Lord tells Abram, Go and take your son that I gave you and go to the mountain of Moriah and offer him there to me as a sacrifice. And then the next verse says, And Abraham arose very early in the morning and saddled the donkey and made his way towards Mount Moriah. Wow. Why is that in there? Because if it was about Doug, it would be very late in the day He started and thought, oh, it's too late, I'll wait till tomorrow. No. Procrastinators International was not meeting there in the book of Genesis. Abram, who knew God, immediately obeyed God, and what did he do? He got up early in the morning. So when do we find them at the temple? At daybreak. At 6.30 in the morning. How many of you know that's pretty early to be up in the temple standing and sharing the message? At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Wait a minute. Isn't that what got you in trouble in the first place? And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly. Before it was just the priest and a few of his Sadducee group, a subsection of the Sanhedrin. Now it's 120. How many of you know they're getting in deeper trouble? He called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. What had happened? The angel had released them. So the best kind of obedience is early obedience. To severely obey the Lord in getting after it at your first opportunity. 
get after it as early as possible. Why? Because if you put it off, it tends to never happen. They get up at daybreak with the very best kind of obedience. That's an Abraham kind of obedience, to get up early in the morning and head towards Mount Moriah. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Does somebody have their attention or what? This doesn't happen every day. This never happens. Everything is locked and secured. And where are the guards? Gourds. Welcome to harvest season, folks. Where are the guards? The guards, although in Veggie Tales, I suspect that the guards would be gourds. <clears throat> Makes sense to me. And so where are the guards? They're on duty. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Make sure no one comes in to release. Make sure no one inside gets out. We found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Don't you know they've seen some very strange and unusual things? They have taken their chief enemy, Jesus of Nazareth, hung him on a cross. Now the temple or the tomb is empty, and everybody's talking about the fact they've seen him for 40 days and that he's ascended into heaven to the right hand of God. They have watched miracles occurring in the temple precincts where a man who had been sitting by the gate for years and they all knew him, they had all seen him because they all walked in that gate, and now he's walking and leaping and praising God. There are people who were blind now can see, paralyzed now can walk, and there's people who were demon-possessed and now they're cleansed. There's all kinds of miracles. In fact, people are positioning people in the road so Peter's shadow might fall upon them and they might experience a miracle. But what does it lead the chief priests and his cronies to be? Jealous. Because they're living in a powerless existence. They're living with the Torah, but no power. They're living with the Word of God, a message, but no power, no authority. And here are these Galilean fishermen that they took note have been with Jesus and they are proclaiming the name of Jesus, a simple message, you can have a new life, and the power of God is hitting and shaking Jerusalem. So now they hear a report that all of them were in jail and the jail was locked and secured, but none of them were in there. Don't you know that's a weird thing? When somebody came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. The ways of God are confounding to the wise. Doesn't Scripture tell us that? The Lord has a way of getting people's attention. But beware, be ready, because a religious-minded person or a person who wants to be in a form of godliness but deny the power, they become nervous and upset with a person who is aligned with the name, the message, and the power. They get nervous with the power. They don't know what to do with the power. What did the power of God done? Raised Jesus from the dead, uh, 
he ascended back into heaven, opened blind eyes, healed paralyzed people, raised the dead multiple times, all kinds of miracles, and now he evacuates 12 men from a jail. Go explain that one. They didn't have a transporter. The Enterprise wasn't orbiting outside the earth in orbit. No. God had done something that he had done in the Old Testament where he had taken someone and they simply disappeared and no one could find them. When Jesus walked through an entire crowd that wanted to kill him and and they couldn't touch him. These are unexplainable things. But I'm telling you something. God loves to do confounding and inexplainable things by his grace. This is the very nature of grace. It always does things with people that cannot be explained, in ways that cannot be explained, to ends that cannot be explained, that cause you to sit up and go, what does this mean? What does this mean? Don't you know he loves the Pharisees? He loves the Sadducees. He loves the high priest. And he's trying to draw them to himself. So he's confounding the wise. The entire Sanhedrin is being called to meet. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Now, they did have a second amendment in Jerusalem, a right to bear stones. And brother, let me tell you, if there is not anything else in Jerusalem, there's rocks and stones. They're everywhere. They had plenty of ammo, and they feared the people, that the people would stone them. Why? Here's what the people's thinking is. These men are good. They're talking to us about the new life that God promises, and not only that, but they pray for us, and and lepers are cleansed. Eyes are opened that we're blind. People that have been deformed since birth have been made right. There's, There's amazing things, and here's what the people are doing. They're saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't God good? Isn't God great? Isn't this awesome? God is renewing his activities amongst us as he did when we crossed the Red Sea, when we came into the land. He's expressing himself as he did when the prophets were mighty amongst us. And they're rejoicing and they're blessing God. In fact, I think attendance at the temple is up. And in the middle of this, we have some powerless religious people who do not accept the name, do not accept the message, and therefore cannot have the power that can only be jealous rather than an honest zealotry. Go on. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. What do we see here? Opposition to what you have to say. This is what we all know inside. We all know that if we can get up and give a book report, we can talk about Columbus in 1492 around the early part of October. But if we stand and give a good report... It sounds like this. Sounds like you need a new life. I have, I know somebody who can give you a new life. His name is Jesus. 
he has been testified by God by being raised from the dead as being the Savior of the world. And he has the ability and the grace and the power to change anything in your life. What happens when you share that message, when you get up early and take that stand and give that word, there's going to be a pushback. Who do you think you are? Why are you talking about this? Why are you offering false hope to people? On and on and on the the restrictions come. And they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. What a testimony. Do you hear what they're saying? You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. On every street corner, every street, every nook and cranny, every byway, every household, everybody is being affected and being touched by this message. So what are they? They're effective. And there's no quit in them. And they add this, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, guess what? They are. When, when you accept, and here's the irony, when you accept Jesus' substitutionary work on the cross for you, then you are released from your guilt of your sin. Because you accept that he has taken your sin upon himself. And it has been nailed to his tree and taken out of the way. And when you accept that gift, you are now brought into the family, no longer an enemy, no longer guilty of that, but now forgiven. There's a remedy. Yes, we are guilty. Yes, our sins have been laid upon him. But we don't have to suffer under the law. The crime under the law and the penalty under the law is your death. But guess what? When you place your faith in Christ, you die in Him and He makes you alive. Wow! They're missing part of the gospel. They're not accepting by faith part of the gospel, which is, yes, you are guilty of sin. And yes, you do deserve eternal separation from God. But God has remedied that through giving His only Son, who Himself kept it perfectly, and then died under the law, so that the law could be taken out of the way, and you could be released into sonship. And you could be in relationship with God as a son. And you can say, Abba, Father. Give the Lord a hand clap. That's great news. You don't have to remain guilty. Amen? There's a cure for that guilt. Jerusalem is filled with the message, but the Sadducees refuse to hear it. It's not that they don't understand the message. It's that they reject the message. Peter and the other apostles replied, wow, this is a powerful word. We must obey God and not concerned enough with divine opinion. Let's just all get in the boat. We all struggle with that. Why? Because we can't see God. He's out there, off there somewhere. But we can see those people. We can see that look in their eye. We can sense the change in their attitude. We can feel their presence. And we are around them. And it's intimidating. Hello? But there's an answer for that. It's not being mean to human beings. It's saying, 
What does God ask of me? And that's first. I must obey God rather than human beings. I need to change the priority in my life where, I, where I'm more concerned with the applause of heaven, as Max Lucado put it, than the accolades of humanity, than fitting in or being approved or a thumbs up from a human being, that I know that I'm in obedience with God and I must rather than human beings. Then they go on to say, you see, they don't leave it alone. What had they been accused of? Filling Jerusalem with this teaching. We told you not to talk in this name. And secondly, you're bound and determined to make us guilty of his blood. Listen to the next sentence. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Peter, what are you saying? Peter, couldn't you just leave well enough alone? What does Peter do? He doubles down. They're in trouble for talking about the name of Jesus and bringing an accusation against the people and the leaders for hanging him on a tree. And what does Peter say? The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Peter steps right into it, doesn't he? He leans right into it. He's not doing it with impudence. He's doing it because he's committed to the message. You have to understand something, high priest. You're guilty, but there's an answer. You're guilty, but there's a release. You're guilty, but there's a Savior. You're guilty, but the Messiah has come. And he can deal with that guilt and wash it away and separate it from you as far as the east is from the west. Give the Lord a hand clap. (coughs) Obeying God is the first priority no matter what. He goes on. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring, that he might bring. God has done this in what? Hope. So he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. So what needs to happen? People need to repent. They need to come into repentance. What does that mean? That they're genuinely sorry for their offense against God, not sorry they got caught. Now, any parent in this room knows the difference in their children. What is, what's the form of repentance we've all seen? Sorry they got caught. And then you notice that they try to be sneakier the next time. They consult with the kids on the school bus. Look, I'm trying to get some extra cookies. How can I pull the wool over my parents' eyes? But repentance is saying, you know what? I'm sorry I did that and offended you. I'm more concerned about our relationship than I am about getting cookies. I'm more concerned about how we stand with one another than getting my way. And so repentance has come. He's wanting repentance. And then what? Forgive sins. What a release. What happened under the law? Remembrance of sins. But what happens under Jesus? Release from sin. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Who's the other witness? The Holy Spirit. Whom God has given to those who obey Him. 
Isn't that powerful? God loves to give good gifts, doesn't he? And he gives the very Holy Spirit to those who come into repentance and forgiveness. The next step is then to receive the fullness of the Spirit. And what have these apostles and others, what have they done? They've come into the fullness of everything that God has promised them. They're standing in the presence of a group of people who are religious but unconverted. There are people who know the Bible but don't know Jesus. A people who know about the message of the Torah but know nothing about its power. A group of people who do not believe in the supernatural, do not believe in the afterlife. At least the Sadducees. And that's why they're sad, you see. Repentance, forgiveness, and witnesses. That's that's the essence of the message, isn't it? Repentance, forgiveness. What do I need to do to get this forgiveness? Repent. Repent. What does Peter preach in the second chapter? Repent, all of you, and come and be baptized in the name of Jesus for full remission of sins, for a refreshing from heaven, as was talked about later by the Apostle Paul. Repentance, which then connects us into his forgiveness, and then what do we become? Witnesses. How many of you in this room are born again? If you're born again, you're a witness to the power of God to change a human life. You're a very powerful witness when you can share that message of hope with people and you can say, I know He gives a new life because He gave me one. I know He gives new chances because He has given me multitudinous new chances. I know that He can redo and renew and rejuvenate and bring people close to Him because He's done it with me. I've seen Him do it in others and I have experienced Him doing it in me. You are a powerful witness. And you may be the very witness somebody around you just needs to hear from. They need to hear the message. What does Peter say? We can't stop. We should not. We cannot stop. Because we have the message of life. When they heard this, who? The dead, dry religious people. They were furious. There's that, there's that jealousy again, isn't it? And wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him, and he was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of men in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Wow. How many of you know that God could speak through Gamaliel? Even in a British accent. 
His speech persuaded them. Do you know, God can use a dusty, dry old teacher like Gamaliel to stand in front of the Sanhedrin and back them off of you. Why? Because God's in your corner. You're the conveyor of his message. You're the chosen vessel. God doesn't have just a few skeletons. He has an army that he has stood up with flesh and blood, and he has infused with the power of his spirit. And when we stand and we share in the name of Jesus, when we take the message of the gospel, we will be accompanied by the power of God, and God will be in your corner. He can deal with those bosses and those other people, and he can, hear, he can give an authoritative voice that will back them down. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? His speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged. That's unfair. Is that right? That's not right. He says, let him go. But what do they do? Do you ever have those people, those people that just have the one last shove? When the runner's going out of bounds during a play and he's already out of bounds and the defender's mad, so he just gives that extra little shove. That's not right. Throw the flag. Penalize that player. But there's something going on there. There's anger. There's pettiness. Don't you know people are petty? And the people that will stand against you as you stand in the gospel, they'll do petty, crass, childish things. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged. What's a flogging? A whip across the back. How embarrassing when you're an adult and get a whipping. Think about that. You're an adult and you get a whipping and you haven't done anything wrong. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Yeah, right, that'll work. And let them go. Don't fight God. You cannot win. And you're going to suffer unjust punishments. And you're going to hear some worthless commands. So the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So when people give you a rough time, here's what you do. Take it as a red badge of courage. And you say, I'm I'm over the target. I'm in the right zone. How do you know? Because I'm getting such opposition. I'm getting pushback. That lets me know that I'm over the target and God is fighting for me and I'm going to keep standing, I'm going to keep pushing, I'm going to keep doing this because it's worth it to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Amen? That doesn't necessarily give you the warm fuzzies, but it did for them. Rejoicing in the opposition. So day after day, I love this next verse. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They didn't quit. And I'll tell you, folks, we can't quit. Some of us just need to get started. Get started. Don't quit. If you've started and then quit, Get back into it. Get back into the game. And if you've never quit and you keep going on, good on you. 
because we can't afford to quit, we have the greatest message. He offers new life. Stubbornly obeying God. Some of us are stubborn, all right. But I'll tell you the best kind of stubbornness, stubbornly obeying God. Don't back down. Don't back off. So we can think about this, pray about this as Tasha comes back and leads in closing worship. Where are the temple courts that I'm supposed to stand in, in my Jerusalem? Where would the angel of the Lord let me from jail and say, go back and stand there. Go back and stand there and keep telling the people. And what is the message I'm supposed to be proclaiming and teaching? I'll give you a hint. It's your own personal testimony. How do you know Jesus is the Savior? It's got to be more than a biblical precept. It's got to be an encounter in your life. It's out of the plain vanilla existence of your life. Some of you sit there and go, well, I don't have anything that would change another person's life. Put it in the hand of the Lord and see what it does in somebody else's life. Put it out there as a seed, as a testimony, and see what the Holy Spirit does with that. Because it could be the message that absolutely changes the destiny of someone. Go and stand in the court of the temple and tell the people this message of new life. Wow. Honey, as you come, we'll find a time of prayer and worship. I have all of you stand to your feet. I just want to pray over you and release you. Give you a word of instruction. Immediately following this service, we have our business session. So I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you and release and prayer of blessing over the food. And then those of you that are in our membership, you'll make your way over to the multi-purpose building. We have beverage choices. Once we've eaten our lunch, we'll get right into the business meeting. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We acknowledge your grace. And Lord, we have a commissioning. We just need an angel of the Lord to come and open up that jail cell and say, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people about this message of new life. Lord, it's tough sometimes to go. It's tough sometimes. We feel the intimidation and the opposition. But we thank you by your grace we can stand. By your, We are weak, but you are strong. And we ask and invite you, Holy Spirit, to infuse us with a new boldness, to come and fill us with your compassion and your zealous nature for the things of God. Lord, give us a divine stubbornness and let us engage fearlessly in your grace for the sake of other people, those around us that need to hear this glorious, simple message that there is a great Redeemer and He can give us a new life, a salvation, forgiveness from sins, and He can change everything, spirit, soul, and body. And Lord, we ask your grace for that in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for this business session and this food. We ask that you bless it to our bodies and our bodies strengthened for your service. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you as you go. Have a great day. Remember, no Bible study.